the South of the Six podcast, bringing you the latest on your favorite Toronto sports teams from south of the Canadian border. Here's your host, Adam Corsair. All right, what's going on? Welcome to episode 115 of the South of the Six podcast. We are part of the stadium scene, .tv network, and part of the Overtime Media crew. We are recording this Saturday morning, right before noontime, and the Raptors are currently up 2-1 in round one of the playoffs. Joining me to discuss all things Toronto Raptors is the icon, the show stopper, the main event himself, Mr. Peter HBK of Life and Repeat. Your music's hit. Peter, what's going on? Adam, two down, 14 to go. (laughs) What a difference a week makes. Before I get into that, though, Adam, remember when I was simply just... Peter K, Mr. Reliable. Now I have so many other much cooler nicknames. So very cool. We also forgot to throw out the entertaining and sexy, but I'm not going to hold that against you. (laughs) There's too many. I'm like Daenerys in Game of Thrones, man. Titles, titles, titles. But but a week ago today, Adam, the sky was falling. Um, But what a difference a week makes. We're up 2-1. We're kind of seeing the Raptors that we know um, kick it into gear. We have a 2-1 lead. We took back home court advantage, which is a sentence I didn't think I would be saying in a series against the Orlando Magic. But here we are. This is reminiscent of the the Versus series that you and I partake in. And uh, I had the the opportunity to revisit that this morning and to revisit our thoughts prior to the start of this playoff series as to how we were approaching the magic. And I think it's safe to say that maybe it was a little bit more on my end than yours, that I was super confident with the Raptors taking on the magic. I thought that of the three possibilities, that being the Nets, the uh, Pistons and the magic, I was much more comfortable with the Raptors taking on the magic. Um, Game one, I know we covered it in detail on the last show, but game one was a pretty much smack in the face and uh, part of the narrative of what it means to be a Raptors fan. Like, we had to revisit that as well. But with the performance of game two and game three being this, like, tidal wave of emotions, um, I'm pretty happy with where the Raptors are sitting right now, and I'm still going to say five games they can take this. Yeah, this is like the reverse gentleman's sweep, right? Instead of yeah. taking the 3 nothing series lead, taking the foot off the, the, the gas in game four, and then taking it in game five, we, we, took the ga- we took the foot off the gas in game one, and this team looks locked in. They looked engaged. Yes, Leonard didn't look Kawhi-like in game three, but they still found a way. And that's, that's the, you know what, in the playoffs... Sometimes in these early rounds, talent just wins out. Your best player can have a bad game, but as long as your second best player, your third best player, and your fourth best player are arguably better than anyone else on the Magic, then you're you're you're, you're in pretty good shape. So this is the perfect round um, to to iron those kinks out. Even when we lost Game One, 
I was very confident. I didn't think that the Magic could beat us four times in a seven-game series. Um, but there was 5% of me that was like, oh my God, we better win game two. Game two is now a must-win. So I don't want to say I was 100% confident. I was 95% confident we'd get back in this series. And regardless of what happens in game four, hopefully we can walk away with the win because I always think the true test of a team is in the playoffs is how they perform on the road. And I don't care if you go on the road, you win by one point, you win by 30 points. It's the same to me. Winning on the road in the playoffs is tough, especially the further you go. So this is good that the Raptors... They, they went into Orlando. Orlando hadn't had a playoff game in, what, seven years, mm-hmm. 2012. Their crowd was ready for it. And, you know, they came out of the gates. They started the, the game on a 10-0 run. The Magic got back into it a little. The Raptors kind of led throughout, except for a few times in the third when the Magic took the lead by one. But that lead was barely kept. They the they got it back by clutch triples by Siakam, then another clutch three by Danny Green. So anytime the Magic sort of got their second and third win and delivered a haymaker, the Raptors responded. And that's the things I like to see. And those are the things I like to monitor while watching a playoff game. How do we respond when the Magic say, okay, Guys, let's put all our energy into the next five, six minutes. Let's try to wind it down because, you know, a basketball game is sort of a way. It's a tidal wave. It goes up, it goes down. And how you handle the opposition when they're riding high tells the true measure of a team. So there is a few people that point to and all the Raptors only won by five in Orlando. I go back. You can win by 30. You can win by one. Winning on the road is tough in the playoffs. As I mentioned, we're recording this Saturday morning, so I can't exactly crack a beer right now as I usually would with Peter on the line. But I do want to be stone cold about this and take a sip of coffee for the working man. So what I'm going to say... (laughs) Exactly. It's a little early for us to have a a beer as we normally would. And um, I've had people come up to me and said, I enjoy um, the podcast you do with Adam because it sounds like two dudes at a bar just having a conversation. So I thought I'd share that feedback with you as well. Ah, yeah, that's what it's all about, man. Like, it's it's the instant chemistry and it's just the laid-back conversation. Like, I don't consider myself a super smart guy. I consider you a super smart guy that pretty much carries the conversation and the intellect-wise. I'm just here to, you know, drive the narratives and just sip beer. But today, I'll just sip coffee. So. <laughs> um, but what I do want to say is, look... There was walking into this, as I referenced with the uh, the Versus series and on previous shows, um, I guess I have to sort of apologize for uh, the slander, I guess you can say, that I've uh, committed towards Orlando fans. I didn't really expect that much of a... Uh, of a, of a of a voluminous fan base in Orlando. Like when you think Orlando, you think like all oh, retirees, you think people just visiting Disney and like Orlando Magic the the arena is just like this the sideshow that you visit to pass time. I am very impressed with how well uh, of a response that fan base had last night. And uh, you got to give credit where credit's due. They came out. They were anticipating like a, a very tough physical playoff game. They were loud. It wasn't like nearly as Toronto loud historically, or even Milwaukee loud, or even Boston loud. But it was much, much louder than I thought it was going to be. You're absolutely right. Like no one knew what to expect, right? But I guess seven years of not being there, you have that seven years of 
pent-up frustration and pent-up emotion, and especially after your team stole game one. So I guarantee you every single Orlando Magic fan was like, you know, we just take game three. You know, maybe we take game four and then we're going to the second round and, you know, we're going to play a banged up Philly or we're going to play a Brooklyn who's probably equal to us. And so, you know, every fan base in that moment, every member of the Magic fan base talk is talking themselves into that they can beat us. So that's why I think that that's why you got the heightened atmosphere. And, you know, it's great that we got to see the Raptors go into an atmosphere like that and perform as well as they did. None of them seemed shook or overwhelmed by the home crowd. And they, they just seemed to to play their game and you know they prevailed. But you're absolutely right. Kudos to the Magic's fan to the Magic fans. Um, we know what it's like to go a long period of time without a playoff game. So kudos to you guys and and thanks for giving the Raptors that that warm up to see what it would be like in a hostile environment. You're absolutely right. The The entire Magic team looked like they were ready to play. Um, I didn't see any Magic player look like they were out of sorts. I think Clifford has done a really good job um, keeping this team uh, engaged, keeping them hyped, and preventing them from being shook. Um, I do think the Raptors are the more talented team. I'm not going to stray away from that. But this is uh, a matchup, even though I think it's still going to go only five games, this is a matchup that I anticipated... Uh, that the Ra- uh, that the Raptors would pretty much just steamroll, just show and flex, just with the roster themselves, and the the Orlando Magic would shrink. You got to give credit; they didn't. They're still out there fighting. Terrence Ross looks like he's on a mission. He's still doing old school Terrence Ross things, but being the most experienced member on the roster in terms of playoffs, uh, I kind of admire what he's doing. And I guess he's the de facto leader of this team. I don't know if you caught the uh, the pregame show, but I, I, they, they were talking about on Sportsnet how Terrence Ross has taken over as this leader for the team and the, the fans are being receptive to it. So in just in Raptors lore, having that laundry there in the past, I kind of got to tip my cap to him. I don't really like him as a player per se, not personally, but just how he performs on the floor. It's really hit or miss. But at the same time, as a former Raptor, you got to tip your cap to him a little bit. I'll say this. When Terrence Ross was a Toronto Raptor, he was the player that frustrated me the most. The dude has elite level athleticism, but yet he settles for jumpers 99% of the time. And to me, when I watch him with the magic, nothing has changed. Yes, he has more opportunities from beyond the three-point line, but the dude could be like 30% better if he shot the ball maybe five or six less times and drove to the lane. So let's tip our hat to Terrence Ross. You know, his team got one game, but I'm... I'm more than happy to see Terrence Ross launch than see what happens when he attacks the basket. So, Terry, keep doing you, man. I'm enjoying watching it. <laughs> I mean, it does benefit us. It does benefit us as as Raptors fans, and I'm sure it benefits the Raptors a little bit too. Um, 
to his credit, he did lead the Magic in scoring last night, so there's that. Look, I don't want to sound like I'm I'm stroking him here. I'm really not. I just like to see former Raptors players, as long as there's no bad blood, and there's not. There's no bad blood with this departure. This isn't a Vince Carter thing. He never got to that level. Anyway, I'm just saying you never heard Terry say anything like, I don't want to be here or anything. Um, so I, I can't hate on him as a person, as an individual. But there you go. Right. Well, yeah, Adam, you're, you're, you're building up the Magic fan base. You're talking about Terrence Ross. <laughs> Are you a Magic fan? Are yeah, is this, is this something we need to talk about? No, no, no. It's just one of those things that y- you like to see former Raptors that left on good terms. You like to see them in a good space. Like, I, it, how often do you see that, really? Like, when you think of former uh, Raptors players that were sort of just like pieces in a trade and they succeed, I don't know. There's a little twinkle there that I like to see. There you go. Well, whatever makes you happy. <laughs> this is the Overtime Podcast Network. All right, let, let's let's move on and talk about some Raptors. How, how about we do that? Look, like I mentioned, they're up 2-1. Game 3 was a different story. It was sort of a paradigm shift from what happened in Game 2. Um, how lucky we are to have a guy like Pascal Siakam, and we can start there, as this anchor for this team. Look, if you would have told me that Pascal Siakam would have had a 30-point performance and outscore and outperform Kawhi Leonard in the first road game of this playoff series, my God, I would have said, you're drinking something, man. But here we go. Pascal Siakam was absolutely brilliant last night. Having his way in the paint, having his way in the post, my God, how lucky are we to have a, and I'm going to say it, a superstar like Pascal Siakam. You're absolutely right. This this season, from where he started at the beginning of the season to where he is right now, no one, no one could have foreseen this. Yes, we were hoping for a jump, but he took the jump from competent role player to legit superstar. We have, like you said, a second superstar on our hands. And this could not have come at a better time. In years past, with the We the North era, when we were led by DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry, it was it was kind of on them too. And if, not, if both of them didn't have it going, or one of them maybe had it going and the other didn't, which, which is sort of the story of the We the North Arrow with DeMar DeRozan, we didn't have that additional release that additional release valve that we have with Pascal Siakam. So having a player like that, having somebody who can go off for 30 points, having somebody else, Siakam is averaging just shy of 25 points in the playoffs. He's almost, he's averaging one point less than, uh, than Kawhi Leonard to have another player doing that. Another player that you can rely on who gives you a different look than Kawhi DeMar and Lowry in past. They both kind of gave you the similar, a similar look. They're both very perimeter oriented, but Siakam's different. He could shoot the three, which was, we it was good to see him hit some threes in game three. He can take you down in the post and make you dizzy with all his spin moves. He's an excellent passer. He can initiate the offense. He does so much for this Raptors team and there's no one else on the team and a very few players in the league who bring what he brings to a game. He's sort of a skeleton key. He kind of what, what he unlocks, 
he brings the Raptors to to sort his brings the Raptors offense to another level. And it's not just him on offense. On defense, he is very, very strong. He can guard all five positions. In the history of the We the North era, and dare I say all of Raptors history, we haven't had a player like this who can do so many things on the court that are different as well from what our star players bring. In the first two games, Siakam went 0 for 7 from 3, which included him missing six corner threes, which sort of is his trademark, right? Sweet spot, yeah. And him going 0 for 6 emboldened uh, the Magic coach Steve Clifford to sort of you know, when you watch, the players are leaning away from Siakam. We always hold heard the adage, Siakam's going to need to do it in the playoffs. Teams are going to dare him. It's a pick-your-poison league. And until he started making those threes, teams were going to be comfortable leaving him open. So I was super excited. I think in the first quarter, he hit two corner threes. And then that just, I don't think that's a, him making those threes early. I do not think it's a coincidence then that he finished with 30 points because when he's hitting his threes the defense has to stay honest that gives him the ability to take his his defender off the drive as opposed to having to take one or two steps before he's actually within where his defender is so the more he makes threes the more types of performances where we are going to see like that so when he hit those two early threes it was like this is going this might be i tweeted this this might be the Pascal Siakam game. Adam, I later corrected that to, sorry guys, my bad. This is the Pascal Siakam game. <laughs> Absolutely. And you know, what I've noticed about him in this, you know, short playoff series thus far, three games, uh, and a lot of it in the regular season too, specifically this year, um, we, we've we touched on this multiple times and it's not something that's blind to the talking heads either. This is someone that is, quote-unquote, inexperienced when it comes to basketball throughout his life. That's not taking anything away from his talent, but that's just it's the truth. You have these players that are bona fide superstars in their own right that have been bred to be playing basketball since they were in diapers, right? That's usually the recipe for it. Pascal Siakam picked this up pretty late, you know, comparatively. Uh, in his in his life, and how he's just so naturally great at it is in and of itself, it's just amazing. And not only that, right, this is what I want to focus on. It's the just sheer confidence that he has in his game. You're right, he went 0 for 7 in the first two games from 3. That didn't stop him from trying. Like, you know, I don't know if you noticed this yesterday, but Augustine was very hesitant to shoot because he's been off for the past two games. Not Pascal. Pascal's like, give me that rock. I'm going to drain this. Give me it in the corner. That's my spot. I'm going to nail this. That is something that I love to see in my players. They don't let past possessions bother them. They don't let past you know mishaps or misses get to them. Pascal Siakam is next possession. He's the definition of that. And it's not just the confidence. It's just the natural confidence that he bleeds. It's, it's just part of his personality. And for that, we are lucky to have someone like this on this team that he can pick up the load. That if Kyle Lowry's not having a great night, we have Pascal. If like last night, Kawhi Leonard's not having a great night, we have Pascal. So much so that I'd argue, and this isn't taking anything away from the aforementioned two players that I said, but I don't really trust anybody else with the bench as much as I do Pascal Siakam. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. You, everything you said about Siakam is correct. Like he, he missed those threes. He could have got, you know, he could have got shy from, from shooting from there and, and let that sort of affect his game. But he just kept on going, knowing that they're going to fall, knowing that the, the team and the co- his teammates and the coaching staff have trust in him to do that. And knowing that when he does do that, it just unlocks so much. And, you know, like Nick Nurse said it before game three, I think a reporter asked them about Siakam being like their third best player. <laughs> and Nurse sort of tongue in cheek said, um, what, what did he say? He said something tongue in cheek where it was like, oh, did he get demoted or something? Because he's always been right, our second right. best player. I, I'm obviously butchering his response, but um, it was of that message. And he is our second best player. And on some nights, he's our absolute best player player and he does not lack for he doesn't have um, a lack of mental toughness he seems to enjoy the spotlight he seems to enjoy the challenge of being in the playoffs and it's almost like watching somebody realize that the the power and skills that they have like it's he, he does a handful of things each game that is just mind-blowing and and some sometimes maybe we've gotten used to pascal siakam sort of just getting ahead of the fast break and and putting the ball in but every time he does that that's a marvel there is no other player in the league who gets out like that on the fast break and it must be for teams who don't watch the rap for people who don't watch the raptors very often or for magic fans they must be like okay this is the pascal siakam everyone's talking about i i get it and you know this this is going to be the, the if the raptors can achieve the ultimate goal of what we want them to achieve we're going to need the, to see this type of siakam we're going to need the occasional 30 plus point game we're going to need the occasional you are the best player on the court and he seems up for the challenge you know we we talk about load management throughout the year with Kawhi. And we talk about the impact that Kyle Lowry has on this team as a veteran and as a mainstay on this team. But I'd argue, just based on minutes alone, Pascal Siakam may be the most important player on this team in order for the team to succeed. Right? You have, if I told you that Kawhi Leonard's only averaging, what, like 34 and a half minutes a game compared to Pascal's just north of 40? That's crazy. And that says a lot about not just the versatility that Pascal Siakam has and th- just the motor he has not to get tired and not to need a lot of rest. Like this is, I think game two was the only game he didn't eclipse 40 minutes, right? And they, they won handedly and I'm sure that has a lot to do with it. But Pascal Siakam is like this player on this team that if he's off, I don't know if this team's succeeding. So it makes me wonder... You know, we, we like to pay attention to Kawhi Leonard because of his status in the league. And like I mentioned, we like to pay attention to Kyle Lowry because if he's having an off night that's sort of amplified, i.e. game one, and, you know, his tenureship and the, the, the veteranship of him on the Toronto Raptors. But I don't know that Pascal Siakam gets enough credit for how much, like, how critical he is to this team's success. You're absolutely right. And I'll say this, the the smart fan like me, yourself, and a lot of the people we interact with on Twitter, we, they know how good Siakam is. Um, I think it's sort of the casual observer who's coming to that realization of how good he is. Yes. He, he topped 40 minutes in 
the in the two games that we needed that sort of went down to the wire right game two was a wash we didn't need him to play that much he's a young fella he appears tireless so if he can go 40 plus minutes consistently when we need him. And it was good to see Kawhi play 37 minutes last night, um, despite having an off shooting night and despite apparently being under the weather, but you're absolutely right. Um, Siakam might be sort of the bell measure of how we, how we sort of analyze of how we sort of review how good a game went. And it's incredible that we can throw out a player with his versatility out there in such high minutes and he seems to thrive the further the game goes like he put um with under two minutes left in the magic sort of you know come in or they're making their last push he he, he calmly nailed a floater and he wanted to take that shot yes. and and that's important to me who wants to take that shot? That's for what, that's what I look, who's playing hot potato with the ball. Who's saying, give me the ball guys. I am super confident. I'm going to score or I'm super confident. Something good is going to happen when I have the ball. And it's almost a crime. If the ball doesn't at least go through Siakam 90, 90% of the time he goes down the court because if he's not making the good pass, if he's not beating his defender off the dribble, if he's not hitting an open corner three, he's doing something positive out there. And, you know, if, if the Raptors make the deep run that we want, Siakam will get all the accolades that is coming his way. Um, he's, he's a lock for most improved player. 100%. That is going to happen. You know why? Because smart people vote in these, the, uh, Smart people vote for these awards. The casual fan doesn't, who maybe only pays attention to Brooklyn and sort of the raw numbers D'Angelo Russell is putting up. Siakam brings it on both sides of the court. He is so unique. And Adam, we touched upon it in our Versus series. Siakam is due for a contract this offseason. Mm -hmm. You are of the opinion they're going to wait till next offseason, see how restricted free agency goes, maybe see how everything falls with Gasol and Kawhi Leonard. I think, and th you know what, that is very that could very well happen. My humble opinion, Messiah Jerry is going to lock this guy up because who doesn't want to play with Pascal Siakam? Hundred um, percent. Let, let's. Let, I'll, I'll unpack that a little bit too. You're absolutely right that he deserves it. He deserves to, to, as Isaiah Thomas would say, back up the Brinks trucks. Like he, he deserves to have a big chunk of money coming in to his way. And, you know, some, some years locked up. Substantial years, too. I'm not talking, like, two, three years. Give him five. Like, I, like just just go. Just give him what, whatever he wants because he's young enough that he can anchor this team for years to come. This is a player that you could theoretically build around, right? And I like that aspect because it's a great— and I this sort of minimizes the impact he has on this team— by me saying he's an insurance policy, but I don't mean it that way. And what I mean is that if Kawhi decides to walk, we're okay. We're in really good hands because Masai Ujiri, in his brilliance, probably knows a recipe that we could build around specifically Pascal Siakam to succeed, right? We can acquire players or maybe draft players that will highlight his attributes and make him even better. Like, the crazy thing about this... Right, and you touched on the MIP. I think we're seeing D'Angelo Russell ceiling. 
We aren't even close to Pascal Siakam's ceiling. That is what's scary. That is what is so unique about him, right? It's it's what you see on the floor. It's what you see in against the opposition. Like, or not to again, not to stroke Orlando again, but Orlando is really good in their transition defense, right? And that is something that the Raptors were known for throughout the season. These fast breaks, these long passes, the outlet passes to Pascal on the other end of the court because he's so quick that if you blink, you'll miss him, and he's already under the rim on the other end the the magic is are were pretty good at stopping that and they're making a concerted effort to prevent that from the Raptors whereas right now if that is eliminating something that Pascal Siakam is doing he still has other tools in his utility belt to go upon and to just wreck the opposition that is what makes a great player great is that when a team eliminates something that he's known for he has other things to turn to that is something that I don't think we've seen someone do that's been a a homegrown talent in Raptors lore you're absolutely right. And for everything you've said, I, I co-sign 100%. And when we talk about basketball and when there's a lot, when people talk about it, it's always sexy to focus on the offense, right? This player averages this and this. They did this and this. But we don't talk about defense and how sometimes a player is a liability. Um, I'm not saying that for D'Angelo Russell, even though he is. But, <laughs> when you know, when we had DeMar DeRozan, he would bring it on offense, but he would kind of give it up the other way. Siakam brings it on offense, and he is an elite defender on the other side of the basketball. And when the, he could, Like I said earlier, he can guard all five positions. I was super happy hearing that Siakam was getting all defensive team buzz. Yeah. He is a future all defensive team player. He's going to be in the running for defensive player of the year. There's you, you just can't do much with him in this. And I mean that in a nice way where it's like, what's his weakness when he's defending you? He's quick enough. He can, he can handle a player who wants to try to blow by him. He's strong enough against players who want to post him up. We did see elite, all NBA play, all NBA bigs do take advantage of him. Like a Blake Griffin was able to post him up, but that's something he's, he's going to get stronger and he's going to work on. There is not much, you can do when you're sizing up Pascal Siakam and he's the one defending you. You want to do a pick and roll? You want to switch with him? He can go on to your point guard. He can go on to your big who's out from the three-point land. He is... He is phenomenal. <laughs> yes. He like the, the 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 comparison as sort of the season progressed from back in October to to now was he he is sort of the Draymond Green of the Toronto Raptors. He might be, he's going to be better than Draymond Green in terms of yes, Draymond Green's an, an elite passer. Siakam is already a better scorer. He's a better three-point shooter. His defense is probably a tick below Draymond Green, but this is a player who has the potential to be a Draymond Green and to be so much better. There aren't many players like Pascal Siakam in the league. And there's a there's something that has been frustrating me over the last few weeks about everybody this is a bit of a tangent talking about anthony davis this so oh, the celtics have the best package the lakers have the best package you know what <laughs> the raptors actually have the best package if they wanted to do that i'm not saying we have to discuss that and i'm not saying i would want to give pascal siakam that but you name any young player in this league who is rumored to be in the anthony davis discussions i'd rather have pascal siakam over them and don't adam that's not me saying you know what 
Masai Ujiri could do that because there's lots of things to consider. Yeah, yeah. But when if if we're talking who could make the best offer, it's the Raptors hands down. And it's a shame that people aren't talking about that. And that, again, goes to sort of the slow rise that Siakam superstardom has had. And man, this is his, this is his game three was his coming out party. Game one and two, he still played well, but this was all lights on him. Leonard's not playing well. You guys need me to lead us to victory. I will do that. Not many players can do that in the league. And those types of players get paid max money and they deserve it. Absolutely. Like this is a guy that you're, you're absolutely right. Whatever package that any other team can draw up for an Anthony Davis. And we say Anthony Davis because of the rumors, obviously, that were surrounding him during the trade deadline and the fact that he wants out of New Orleans. I get it. Um, You look at any package that a team could theoretically draw up, it's not going to match what the Raptors could. But what makes this great is that the Raptors won't, right? They won't do it because, like I said, Pascal is someone that you can build around. I like the Draymond Green comparison, but I would say the the thing that gives Pascal a little notch over Draymond is that I don't know that you can build a team around Draymond. I think you can build a team around Siakam. You're absolutely right. You know, that's a very good point, and that's why I was saying he's he might be a better version than a Draymond Green. Draymond Green is sort of like the premier glue guy. Siakam is a guy that, yes, you're absolutely right, Adam. You could build a team around him, and you touched upon it earlier. He hasn't hit his ceiling. Whatever he's done this year that has blown our minds, he's going to do a handful of things more before this playoffs are done, and next season, oh my god, when he has another (laughs) offseason to work on things, when it's almost like his I always feel like his speed hasn't caught up to his skill level yet, but when his skill level catches up to his speed, the dude is going to be unguardable. You want to know who he reminds me of? And I don't want to say this like too loosely. Maybe I'm Michael Jordan. No, No, but like the acceleration of him reminds me a lot of Giannis. Right, this is a guy that was a, a previous MIP in and of himself, and he blew up to be arguably the best player in the East this year. Right, there's an argument to be said. I don't necessarily agree, but there's an argument for it. It wouldn't surprise me if you know Siakam maybe adds a little bit more size to him, if he can reach that sort of height to be this top one, two, three superstar in the East. That wouldn't surprise me at all. You know, you make a very good point. Like. We keep coming back to that. Siakam does things we we haven't experienced before as fans of the Raptors and, and fans of the league in general. And he's kind of rewriting the rules of what a player built like him can do. There is nobody before him that I can compare him to. And and that's a credit to him. And you you might be right. The closest comp to what he is and what he can become is Giannis from the Bucks? You're you are absolutely right, and you know I think we're seeing as Siakam got better throughout the year, and it's not a coincidence that he's averaging 24 points in the playoffs because you know what? The last two months of the season he was averaging over 20 points a game. If we had the Siakam now that we had in if we had Siakam now back in October, he would have averaged over 20 points a game easily. He would have made an All Star team 
easily. He -hmm. would have made an all NBA defensive team easily. I cannot wait to see what he has in store as especially as we hope as the Raptors progress and they play stronger and stronger teams, potentially Philadelphia next round, Boston or Milwaukee in the third round and a showdown with Golden State, whoever or and whoever else may come up if Golden State doesn't get there. I still think we're going to see more from Siakam that is going to continue to make us go. Oh my God, how, how lucky are we? And that's what I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see. And then with another off season under his belt, him coming in established as whether Leonard's gone or not the best player on the team or the second best player on the team with new wrinkles in the offense to highlight and showcase him more as that player that we, we don't even know what his ceiling is. It's, it's fun to say he's a superstar now, which he is, but honestly, Adam, he shocked me from where he went from last season to now. I have no idea how he's going to look next year and whatever I can imagine, or you can imagine he's probably going to exceed it. Yeah. A hundred percent. And you know, to put a bow on it, I do want to make this the talking point or the, the, the bookmark on this is that, you know, a lot of people want to focus on whether or not Kawhi Leonard is going to stay or he's going to leave. Like I said, I don't think we have to worry about that anymore. Not because like we wouldn't like to have a Kawhi Leonard on this team for the future. We would, right? We would. But I think the future is in good hands if Kawhi Leonard does decide to go west and we have a Pascal Siakam to anchor this team. There's nothing wrong with that. And tongue-in-cheek, we could do a lot worse, right? A lot worse. And to say that we have a bona fide superstar on our hand already, right now we have two. Right, but a team only needs one to really push the envelope, and we have one ready, ready in the wings, ready to go if Kawhi leaves to build around to anchor this Raptors team for years to come. And if Kawhi Leonard does decide to leave, right, whatever, that's fine. But then that contract that we're talking about, that extension, that money that Pascal deserves, I think will be extended to him. I think that will be ready for him if Kawhi leaves. I think that's the contingency plan. And once that happens, we're good. We're good for the foreseeable future. You're absolutely right. And you know what? It's 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 kind of been funny. Like we know Kawhi has a big decision to make this summer, but I've I've been finding genuinely that fans um, haven't been too too worried. We're more focused on what we can do right now. Right. And you know, and we always said. I think we even said it back at the beginning. Winning is the biggest if you want to convince Kawhi to stay winning is the biggest factor if we make a strong run to the NBA finals that is hard to leave so that's why I find it's fun to speculate about where Kawhi is going to go but I I honestly don't think he's made a decision yet and I think even if he's kind of Let's just say hypothetically, he's like, you know, I do want to live on the West Coast. Nothing like a finals run. Nothing like maybe walking away with a championship to be like, yeah, you know what? I got to stay like. So I don't think it's been written yet. We're writing the story still. You know, we can't move to that next chapter because this, this story is still happening. So we can't expect Kawhi to make a decision as to whether he's going to stay or not based on what we've seen so far. But, you know, the more postseason games we win, the further we advance, every single playoff game we win increases that percentage of Kawhi staying. So not only are we all rooting for a championship, rooting to win each game, rooting to move on to the next round, 
we're rooting because that means Kawhi is going to have to consider us more than than he may have if we flamed out in the first round. You know what I mean? So let's just keep winning. This will take care of itself. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Let's keep it rolling rolling here. We were talking about Kawhi Leonard in the beginning and how he had an off night last night. Um, Whoa, whoa, whoa. Adam, are you a Kawhi hater? No, 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 no. If he comes out in game four and has a good game, Adam, I'm I'm going to tweet. Told you so, Adam. You're a Kawhi hater. That's the thing, right? And we're going to we're going to talk about this when it comes to Kawhi, uh, Kyle Lowry later. But it's weird that Raptors fans get really not. And I know you're being tongue in cheek, but uh, like we can talk about someone having a bad game without it being slander. And I know you were you were very critical of Kyle Lowry for good reason, too, after game one, because he should have been, you know, put on uh, the spotlight at that point. And Kawhi Leonard is no different, right? Last night, we, we've been sold this bill of goods throughout the entire season about load management, and it was twofold. One, and most importantly, it was for his own sense of well-being and his health as an individual. That is the most important aspect of this load management thing, I feel. And two, it was a team thing. It's advantageous for the Raptors to have Kawhi as fresh as possible for the playoffs. All right, now, given that he's been ill this week and he missed two practices, couple that with how physical the Magic were specifically with him from the jump of the game, I'm really willing to give him a pass here, really, and I don't anticipate this to be a repeat performance in Game 4. But having said that, that may have been the worst performance I've seen Kawhi offer in a Raptors uniform. <laughs> the hate is real, guys. Tweet at Adam after game four. Uh, Adam is saying we should start Jeremy Lin over Kawhi, guys. That's what I'm taking from this. No, Okay, so let's unpack Kawhi, like you said. I'll say this. Kawhi had an off night. Kawhi played below the expectations of what we expect from Kawhi Leonard. That's a fact. That doesn't mean we hate Kawhi Leonard. That doesn't mean mm-hmm. we don't want him to resign. That doesn't mean we're, we're going to cheer any less. In fact, we're going to cheer more because we saw his game two masterpiece that he painted. Absolutely. But I will come to the defense of Kawhi Leonard in one regard. Sure. And this is what I always look at when a player is having a bad night offensively because I still think Leonard was strong off on on the defensive end, which goes a lot of times Mm underreported. Kawhi Leonard did not shy away when the ball came to him. He didn't hot potato it. He didn't say, oh, you know what? I'm missing. You take it. He put the onus on him. I'm the guy that has to win this game for us. I'm going to try to drill this mid-range shot that normally I would make. I'm going to take this three that normally I would make. If you were watching Kawhi Leonard and you were watching the way he played without knowing the score, without knowing his box score, you would not have known that he was having a bad game. And that is what I like from my superstar that they do not shy away on the defensive end when things aren't going their way and they don't um and they then they then they're still aggressive offensively lowry in game 1 he was shook he was hot potatoing the ball he took seven shots six of them from beyond the arc he mm-hmm. only dared to drive once you look at all the numbers lowry his bad play got to him leonard's bad play didn't 
get to him. And that is sort of my my saving grace. But yes, the, if, if Kawhi continues to play like that, we're not going to go very far. But I think we're both confident to say that this was an outlier. There was other um, circumstances like him being under the weather that attributed to that. So I'm not going to hold it against him. We know what he's capable of. And that just goes back to having sort of this... Uh, the, 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 this this, these, these so many talented players on our team that we can overcome a 5 for 19 shooting night. Because in the past, if DeMar went 5 for 19, we were losing by 20. Yeah, we're fucked. Right, and and that's that's a hundred percent true. I don't want anybody to think that th- there are people out there, right? And these other fans, I don't want to, you know, cherry pick single fans. I hate doing that. I'm not that guy. But when I see tweets saying like, "Oh, we traded Demar and we got this," what is load management? I get the frustration. But come on, guys, this is Kawhi Leonard, right? And it, it, be happy that we have the depth as we've been talking about throughout this entire show thus far. Be happy that we have the depth right here to mitigate that, right? You're absolutely right. If DeMar, or if we didn't have a Pascal in this situation, if Kawhi's having this off night, we're losing this game. Period. We're losing this game. And it's it's frustrating to see Kawhi Leonard shoot 26% from the field. That's frustrating. And, you know, 16 points, 10 boards, he still had a double-double. So you're right. Like, if you're not, I know I just, you know, talked about stats on the stat line. But if you're not looking at the stat line, if you're not looking at the box score, you probably would see that Kawhi Leonard was his, wasn't his usual uh, self offensively in terms of making shots, right? That's the, the rudimentary barometer that we want to have when it comes to a player's success on the floor. But he was still active defensively, and the confidence was still there. You're absolutely right. He was getting bodied, all right? And I hate blaming refs. I don't even think the refs you know, were that bad, as bad as people are making it seem in this game. I really don't. I don't. But he was getting bodied, and I think that was more leading towards the magic, putting the tone of physicality from the jump, right? And and they were targeting specifically Kawhi Leonard. And he was getting bodied. He was getting fouled. There were a lot of no calls. Fine. But you're right. That didn't stop him, right? And this is something that I referenced before about Pascal. It's next play, next play, next play. Like I mentioned with DJ Augustine, he was hesitant to take the three. He wanted to pass it out. You're absolutely right. Kawhi Leonard didn't. Kawhi Leonard was still confident in his abilities. He was still confident that he could nail a couple of jumpers when it counted. They didn't go in, but he was still a presence on the floor that the Magic had to focus on. And that in and of itself is valuable when you have these other players around him that can sort of mitigate the the lack of scoring and to be able to win this game. So no, I'm not worried that the that Kawhi Leonard is going to continue this poorly throughout the entire series. In fact, I bet you game four, it wouldn't surprise me if he tries to go for 50 like he tried to almost in game two. Like I, in the fourth quarter, I'm like, yo, Kawhi's going for 50 in this game. It's, <laughs> it's happening. But it wouldn't surprise me if he had a similar performance in game two because for me, Kawhi's the type of guy that wants to not reclaim his stake in the game, but... He is the type of like fighter and warrior that I like in a player that he's like, okay, you're doubting me. Here we go. So I don't think that this this poor performance is something that's going to bleed over into game four. He was ill. He missed two practices. I like I said, I'm willing to give him a pass on this one. And you and yeah, it sounds like we're in agreement on that. And what did you say? He shot like 26 percent from the 26. field. 26. Yeah. You take that into the equation, in three games, the dude is still shooting over 50% from the field. Yeah. He's still shooting over 40% from three. So he can have a bad game and his numbers are still elite. And I think why we have such a very low 
worry level about Kawhi is because we have seen him do it before. The dude has went to two finals. The dude has been to countless Western Conference finals. The dude has a finals MVP trophy somewhere in his house. So we know that he can do it. It's when you get to the players who can't do it that you do get a little bit more worried about. But I think you, me, and Raptors fans, we need to sort of, yeah, he had a bad game, um, extenuating circumstances. But we all, I have zero doubt that he is going to bounce back, and and this will be a this this will be sort of that we won't even remember this game three performance down the road. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. We reference Kyle Lowry and how he had an off night in game one, and I say off very lightly. Um, and look, you weren't alone in your criticism of Kyle Lowry. If you listened to the last episode, we sort of ripped into him as well. But we did say, you know, as a caveat, I don't see this, you know, continuing much like we were just talking about with Kawhi Leonard. And it didn't. Um, I don't want to put words in your mouth, right? But I think a lot of people might have missed the message when it came to criticisms of Kyle Lowry. No credible person, yourself included, was saying that Lowry is a bust and ought to be taken off the playoff roster. I think people were misunderstanding the criticism. You can be upset with Kyle Lowry's Game 1 performance without benching him indefinitely, right? We can (laughs) acknowledge when a player doesn't perform well without thinking he doesn't belong on the team. We're just saying what's true, right? We're, We're acknowledging someone has... Had a very bad game. I know a lot of people like to point to the plus minus because Kyle Lowry was a plus 11 game one. Great. But as you've mentioned, that doesn't score points. That doesn't win games. I know like the, the people like to unpack it. That's great. But I'm sort of with you. You need your all-star point guard to score. You need to make him have him hit at least one free throw. Right. And to his credit, he had a huge bounce back game in game two. He was a plus 30. If we're going to look at plus minus 22 points, four boards, seven assists, two steals. And that was around 37 and a half minutes. Couple that with his uh, performance yesterday. He was a plus eight, 12 points, 10 assists. So he had a double double right there. Five boards at just around 40 minutes with a crucial offensive tip to seal the game. I think that play is something that we can highlight and say without Kyle Lowry's grit, determination, and physicality and fearlessness, this game may have been ended in a different way. So I wanted to give you an opportunity to sort of take the floor and analyze Kyle Lowry's performances thus far. And if what are your expectations with him moving forward? So game one, um, so it's, it's essentially, yeah, the days between game one and two is pretty much the trial of, of Kyle Lowry, right, in terms of public opinion. And I said it before, I was in person in game one, and I was watching Lowry closely. He was the player I was watching, even if he didn't have the ball, because I, I'm very curious about him. We all know the playoff Lowry reputation, whether it's earned or not earned. He was the player I was most interested in. And when he missed his first few shots... I could read it on his face. I don't know if it came through on television. He was shook. He yep. was hot potatoing the ball. He wanted nothing to do with making a decision as to whether or not the Raptors are going to win this game. He took seven shots. He missed all seven. Six of them were from beyond the arc. He only drove to make a basket once. He drove in game, you know how many times he drove in game two, Adam? Nine times. There you go. Yeah. So if you're telling me that Lowry played well in game one based on plus minus as sort of a definitive stat, 
that's i'm sorry to tell you like plus minus is not a definitive stat it's the fifth or sixth thing you mention about a player this player had 34 points they shot this from the field they shot this from the three they had this many rebounds and oh yeah they were a plus 11 plus minus is the icing on the cake it's not the fucking cake and if you're (laughs) if you're quoting plus minus to me as a reason a player played well and it's okay, like we we're saying, it's okay to criticize the way Lowry played. He played poorly in game one. And if you thought Lowry played well, let's say, Adam, you thought Lowry played well in game two, in game one, sorry. And I asked you, okay, he played well. So you would be happy if he played every single playoff game the way he did play in game one because he played well. So you would be happy with our all star point guard playing well. Yeah. The answer to that very logical question is no, no, right. no, we need more. And someone saying Lowry played well in game one is just as foolish as me saying Lowry played poorly in game two. What would be your response, Adam, if I was trying to convince you Lowry played poorly in game two? I'd say, did you even watch the game? <laughs> exactly, right? So there is no argument in favor of an all-star, an all-NBA caliber player scoring zero points in a playoff game. Imagine if any other all-star or LNBA player scored zero points in a playoff game. What do you think the reaction would be if D'Angelo Russell scored zero, if Russell Westbrook scored zero, if Chris Paul scored zero? What would the reaction to that game be? They missed all their shots. They missed all their free throws. They looked They looked very clearly shook and overwhelmed by the moment. That was Lowry in game one. That is all true. Does it mean we hate Lowry? Does it mean we want to bench him in favor of Jeremy Lin? Like there's very extreme opinions. Like, so I, I, I people are saying this, Peter, See, but then you have to take that with a grain of salt, right? Like, if, if it, like that is either a someone being really jokey or someone being really stupid. <laughs> like, we need Kyle Lowry. Like, game one was the, the like the seller. If we can't win if Lowry plays like that, which bears fruit because we didn't win. I don't expect Lowry to play like he did in game two because that's peak Lowry. That is Lowry at his absolute best but if Lowry can be 75% of what he was in game two consistently then that is the Lowry I want and that is the Lowry we got in game three his shot wasn't falling he was four of ten but he still continued to drive he still was aggressive and he did not look rattled and it's okay to say that Lowry played badly in game one that is a fact and if you are trying to tell myself or somebody else that he was he played really well he was amazing in game one i'm going to tell you that is credibility shattering yeah if you're a smart fan if you're somebody that who contributes to the raptors writing community and you're trying to tell me lowry played well in game one that is credibility shattering 
some smart people who I follow, who I read, they were trying to convince me of that. So next time they put out something smart, next time they say something smart, the thing in the back of my mind is always going to be, well, they were defending to the death that Lowry played well in game one. So are they right about this? That opinion is credibility shattering. And a lot of people who did say Lowry played well in game one, I find that they are slowly walking it back and i think saying lowry played well in game one was more these people sort of being hurt by his performance and wanting him to do better and lowry was horrible in game one horrible i love lowry lowry was amazing in game two i can't disagree with anything that you're saying and you know when it comes to uh, the the writers that we respect, I'm sure they're in the same. Uh, we're we're speaking of the same individuals. I don't want to call them out by name, but um, I think what it is is damage control, right? And it may be misleading. It may be, uh, you know, not the, the narrative that you really want to drive after a performance after that. But I think what they're focusing on, or and I again, I don't want to put words in my mouth in their mouth. Rather, this is just something that I'm I'm conjuring here, but. It seems like the narrative about Kyle Lowry's playoff performance is a little embellished, right? I, I agree that Kyle Lowry doesn't have a great playoff performance, you know, historically, right? He doesn't. He doesn't. He, at best, he's average in the playoff numbers-wise. Like, you can't look at his numbers and throughout the playoffs and say, this is solid. No, it's average. You know, it's, it's good, sure, but it's not what you expect from an all-star point guard. It's not what you expect by a seasoned veteran like Kyle Lowry, right? So when he comes out with the game one performance like that, I think the the overall narrative was like, look, he's not this bad. Let me give you some numbers in game one to try to explain why he's not that bad. That's kind of pitiful, right? It's it's not going to really speak to how well Kyle Lowry is. You can't use game one in any way to really showcase how well Kyle Lowry should be playing. You can use game two because the evidence is there. It's probably, like you said, that's probably at his ceiling in terms of playoff performances like you want to see. And I think game three was a nice little barometer of this is what we should expect from Kyle Lowry on an average, right? Like game three performance, that's what I anticipate seeing Kyle Lowry being like throughout the playoffs if you conglomerate all his numbers throughout the entire playoff series however long it goes it probably will average somewhere around his game three performance maybe a little bit higher so I, I guess my point is is that it seems like those people were doing damage control right it seems like people are ruthlessly defending Kyle Lowry because of the tenureship he's had on this team but it's okay to acknowledge that he's played poorly and just pick it up. Like, people aren't shying away from that with Kawhi, right? And there seems to be this hypocrisy, right? Like, last night, Kawhi had a bad game, as we just said. You can't really find anything on Twitter or on the interwebs that are saying, hey, no, 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 Kawhi was really good, here's why. No, you don't. And that is on, like, a pretty lackluster performance with Kawhi Leonard. Now you look at Kyle Lowry's Game 1 performance and you want to defend that? Something seems off. Exactly. Like for the people who were saying Lowry played well in game one, nah, 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 nah. You see the way Lowry played in game two? That's what we meant when we said Lowry is capable of more. And I think Lowry, he has, let's, let's give him a little bit of due. He's had the occasional game in the playoffs where he's played well, but they're sandwiched around games where he was next to a no show or played below average. And 
he you've said it best he is average in the playoffs game one is he the reason we lost no there were other reasons but you know what he was the biggest reason we lost yes i i after game one you know like everyone keeps pointing to the plus minus plus minus. i don't want to get into that because i'm just gonna drive <laughs> me nuts but um essentially in um with six minutes left in game one, about 6.30 or something left, the Raptors were down four. Nick Nurse subbed out Lowry for Fred Van Fleet. Three minutes later, Nurse subbed Lowry back in for Fred Van Fleet, and the Raptors had taken the lead, 94-92, so a six-point swing. And I think a lot of people, and a lot of people in the arena, and I think a lot of people on Twitter was just like, Nurse, don't get too cute. Ride Fred Van Fleet. He, he got the lead back for us. He, we were in a four-point hole in the span of three minutes. We went up plus two. Lowry was subbed back in with three minutes left. We went on to lose the game. That is the plus-minus that I'm looking at you plus minus is so it's not definitive at all like a team can start a game on a 15-0 run uh the other team calls a timeout maybe we do a substitution or two the flow of a game would say a team after a timeout is going to come out running maybe they go on a 10-5 run the score is still 15-10 but the players who came on after that timeout where the opposing coach ripped into them that does not mean they played poorly because they're a minus five right that's just the rhythm of a basketball game but you know a lot of people have come out and sort of said yeah you know what i was wrong so that that's good to see but you we, we can't be defending performances like that because there there's no there's no legs for that argument to stand on absolutely and like i don't anticipate that being repeated at all throughout this entire playoff series. Like, save for maybe if we if we do end up playing the Bucs in the Eastern Conference Finals, I can see him being defended quite well, but I don't anticipate a zero-point performance from Kyle Lowry. I do consider that his playoff performance throughout the entire, you know, his history, like as I mentioned, has been average. That's what you can anticipate moving forward. I don't think he's that bad at all. It's a bad night. It's a it's a bad thing to be bad game one, first game of of, of the playoffs, period, let alone a game one in the series, right? This is something that you just got to move on from as we have, as people have, because of game two, right? But I don't think that people should be throwing out things like, oh, why isn't Jeremy Lin getting minutes over Kyle <laughs> Lowry? He's just season... No, 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 no. In no world is Jeremy Lin better than Kyle Lowry. Like, no. It, We're no. only going so far as... Like, Lowry is one of the people that were only going so far as if they play well, right? Like, yeah. there's three of there's like three of those players, Lowry, Siakam, Leonard. We need them to consistently play well for us to achieve our goal. And, you know, as much as I was down on Lowry and I, I criticized him, as soon as he's having a game, I'm cheering him on, being like, this is the Lowry I know. And because if, if we want to get to that promised land, this is the Lowry we need. And it's good to see him have such a bounce-back game too. That was just, that must have been such a relief, uh, a burden off his shoulders. And for some reason, in game two and game three, he did not look shook. He did not look overwhelmed by the moment. He almost seemed to be enjoying it, which is what we need to see from Lowry. Because in seasons past, him and DeMar, they would look like the moment was too big for them and they weren't, and 
and they couldn't overcome that. But it's luckily that we have players like Kawhi and Siakam who who don't seem to shy away. So for that rare instance, hopefully this playoff season, if Lowry does approach his game one level production, that we have players that can overcome that for him. But if we want to be holding that title in June, if we want Adam to make his way up to Toronto <laughs> for the parade celebration, we can't have any game one performances like that anymore all right let's wrap this up by uh predicting the the outcome of the series you mentioned in the beginning that this is going to be a reverse gentleman sweep so i i assume that you're still sticking with five so uh staying on that what do you think the raptors have to do to really put the boot on the throat in this series what uh areas do you think that they have to improve on if anything and uh you think they're going to take this in game six is that what you're that we sorry in game five that's what you're saying yeah, like I, I'm looking for them to start game four, similar to the way they started game three. I didn't predict they would, I didn't imagine they would come out on a 10 0 run. I thought it would actually be the magic playing off the intensity of playing in front of their crowd for the first time. Um, having that emotion of, hey, we beat this team, we could beat them again. I thought they would come out strong. Raptors would sort of have to weather the storm um, and, and sort of claw their way back and win a grinded out game. It ended up being kind of a grinded out game but they, they started out very strong so i i'm expecting i don't i'm not expecting the magic to go down without a fight but i i, I do it would be nice if they walked into orlando again stomped them leonard had a monster game and we finished it in five i think it would be good for a their confidence so they don't have to go back on the road again and b give them a few more days off uh, an extra day off or two before the next round starts hopefully and sort of make that game one a, a distant memory until of course the next game one but anyways so yeah reverse gentleman sweep uh 4-1 raptors and i'm expecting um I'm expecting a double-digit victory in Game 4. I love it. I, I, I am with you. I think that uh, Toronto will ride this momentum for Game 4. I do expect, as physical as the Magic were yesterday, I do expect them to be even more physical tomorrow, and that might work to their detriment because, you know, when you're down, you get desperate. So I, I, I'm hoping that maybe that will work to the Raptors' benefit. Maybe this time, again, I don't like to, you know, base anything on the referees. I think that's a cheap argument, but maybe the the whistle can be a little bit swung to the direction of the Raptors <laughs> in terms of, you know, like free throws and whatnot. And people like to focus on, oh, look at how many free throws. I think it's 23 to 10 free throws. A lot of that was in the bonus. I get it. So like, I don't really like to pay attention to that too much, but still. I'd like to see the, a physical playoff game. I love that. I hope the Raptors respond. I think the Raptors are going to take this one. Um, re, when you take when you can take two at you know your opposing team's home court, that says a lot about your ability. That says a lot about your grit. So come back home to Toronto. I think Game Five would be on Tuesday, if I'm not mistaken. Um, come back home on Tuesday in Toronto. Take it and uh, just wait because I do have a feeling that the uh, the Sixers net series is just going to be extended just a little bit. Wouldn't surprise me if it went six or seven. Um, so having said that, which of those teams do you anticipate the Raptors to be waiting for for round two? Well, like I think it's important to wrap it up in game five, meaning you don't go have to go back on the road. You could just stay at home because we'd obviously be hosting the second round. And you know what? I it would be nice if the the Philly Net series was a long series. I've actually it's the series I've been paying the most close attention to. That isn't um, the Raptors. I've been I've been watching every game and. 
Um, Philly without Embiid, that's going to be a challenge for them. Brooklyn, uh, I mean, I meant that as it would be a challenge for Philadelphia to go up against Toronto without Embiid. Right, right. And the longer that series goes, the more maybe Embiid has to sit out, the more he has to play, potentially injure that knee, and it would be a weakened Philadelphia team playing us. If Brooklyn can somehow make this a long series and end up winning, I think our talent just overwhelms them and we would beat them but it's 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 funny like you need a lot of luck you need a lot of injury luck to go your way and you know what if the raptors play the sixers without Embiid, i'm not going to be one of those people that say well you know it would have been nice if we could have beat them with a bead it's like i don't care how we get to the finals um, as long as we get there so i think we, we, we would have a good chance against both teams. We, we even have a better chance if Embiid was healthy, uh, wasn't healthy. And I don't, he's obviously not going to be healthy this postseason run. But if Philly gets to a point where Embiid has to be shut down or miss significant time against Toronto, they are in trouble. And our path to the conference finals um, got a little bit more clear with the injury news and with Brooklyn and Philadelphia kind of having a back and forth series. I agree. I think that uh, I don't trust the longevity of Embiid. I mentioned that in the previous show. I don't trust it at all uh, throughout this playoffs. And they're so, like, yes, they won without him this past game, but still, they rely on him a lot. He, like, he is talented when healthy. I'm not going to take anything away from him. But, you know, having said that I don't trust his longevity, I think the Raptors could take advantage of that and probably will, especially with the talent that they have. Um, Brooklyn, I, I know people were scared of them because of their shooting, but if you shut down D'Angelo Russell, you really don't have to worry about much. Um, what's interesting to me is that Milwaukee is sort of cakewalking through Detroit right now, right? And because Detroit doesn't have arguably their best player in Blake Griffin throughout this entire series, I think that is going to work to Milwaukee's detriment where they're going to be sort of reclining for the series and not be prepared for what awaits them next. And as we mentioned in the versus series, I'm really confident that it's going to be the Celtics, right? I, I really am. They already took one last night, a close game in, uh, in Indy last night. So I think that if it is a Milwaukee Boston, uh, you know semi semifinals, I think Boston will give them a run for their money. I think that's got six or seven written all over, all over it. And I think, I hope, just so I can go, we're going to see a Raptors Celtics conference. <laughs> and you know what? I, I like, I, and I think people should check out our our versus series where it's Adam and I. We had an email exchange of back and forth over uh, a three or four day span leading up to the playoffs. I've gotten great feedback on it, so please do check out the versus series. It's on my website. It's on Adam's website, and and it was a lot of fun. Um, you know what? Boston has looked really good against uh, the very depleted Indiana team, so they have a three nothing series lead. I do think Milwaukee would prevail in a series, but purely from a home court advantage perspective, I would be rooting for the Celtics to beat them because I'd rather have the Raptors be at home in the conference finals and then potentially at home in the, well, they would be at home in the finals if they did make it. But I always, I always root in the favor of the Raptors having home court advantage. And if it means Adam can go to the TD garden (laughs) with his Raptors gear, and cheer on the Raptors as they stomp the Celtics. I'm all for that. Let's make that wish happen for Adam. All right, I can't top that. So let's let's just wrap it up here. Um, before we go, I do want to say that uh, you know, of of course, I have the uh, the inside line to Kawhi Leonard. Like we were talking about Kawhi resigning, will he resign? A uh, little birdie told me that if you buy, if if Peter K sells out of life and repeat 
t-shirts. Kawhi Leonard is guaranteed to re-sign with the Toronto Raptors. So just throwing that out there, you know, you all you got to do is DM Peter. He'll 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 hook you up with a bunch of shirts. I know mine's on the way, but having said that, Peter, floor is yours for any and everything that you got going on, where people can find you. And again, if you want to talk up the shirts, floor is yours, man. Go ahead. Yeah, you could. Thank you, Adam. This is this is great. Um, always always fun chatting with you. You can find my work at lifeinrepeat.com. You can find me on Twitter at lifeinrepeat. And, you know, we got merch. Um, and, you know, if Kawhi doesn't resign with the Raptors and you didn't purchase your Life and Repeat t-shirt, Damn, that's on you guys. So, yeah, hit me up. Uh, we've shipped some out. We've shipped uh, Adam. Yours is in the mail. We'll get to you shortly. And, you know, this is, it, it's great to to see people actually having an interest in, in, in wanting to um, wear the brand I created from scratch. So how amazing is that? Um, and, Adam, always a pleasure chatting with you. And um, hope to see you in June at the, the Raptors uh, championship parade. And I, how can I go without saying the, the four most famous <laughs> words on the South of the Six podcast? Now hit my music. I think I'm cute. I know I'm sexy. I've got the looks. The drives are cool. While I've got the mood. That really move I said chill, up and down their spine I'm just a sexy boy I'm not your boy toy I'm just a sexy boy Thank you for listening to the South of the Six podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at South of the Six and subscribe to our show. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. Yeah, we're everywhere. While you're at it, if you liked what you heard, do us a solid and leave us five stars and a quick review. We appreciate it. Thanks again. Go Jays and Raptors. Hold on.